0: and teach. Sounds very important, doesn't it? These things command and teach. Those were the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy in his first epistle, which we are studying now. And in that verse, the verse preceding it, verse 10, is likely, and perhaps verses 6 through 10, that to which Paul referred when he said these things rather than the things that are about to proceed in verse 12 and following, as we'll look at this morning. Quite likely, the things that he wanted Timothy to command and to teach to others are those things that had preceded immediately in the verses preceding verse 11. You remember in verse 1 that Paul had written that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of Demons speaking lies and hypocrisy and having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. They will prohibit things like marriage and they'll command to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And he goes on to point out that every creature of God is good. Nothing is to be refused if it's received with thanksgiving. It's sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Then these things, and that phrase is seen in verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things. You'll be a good minister of Jesus Christ. And then reject profane and wives' tales and fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. And then he goes on and comes back to verse 11, these things command and teach. And so it's quite likely that verse 11 refers to these preceding things. But then he goes on and issues an encouragement to Timothy, if you will, with this admonition, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth. A few years ago, I brought a lesson here on this very subject, and I want to review some points there because I think it is good to remind our, our young people, and we have some younger people with us today, young people to not despise your own youth. Paul's admonition to Timothy was, don't let anyone despise your youth. But I'm afraid that we live in a time when many young people are despising their own youth. How are they doing that? Well, a person, a young person, despises his or her youth when such a one delays one's obedience to the gospel. Many times young people will put off obeying the gospel, believing that they, they have plenty of time or for whatever reason they want to Live in this world without being constrained by Christianity, there may be various reasons, but you are really despising a point, a, a period in your life that is very valuable. A period in your life that may be able to have an influence over people whom older people cannot influence. One should remember his creator in the days of his youth, and that's what Solomon reminds us as one who saw it all, did it all, lived it all, and then said, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. But in Ecclesiastes 12, in verse 1, he said, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. You see, when a young person despises his youth by delaying his obedience... He engages in a danger in that delay that may result in his or her never obeying the gospel of Christ or never coming home to his or her first love if if indeed that young person has at one time obeyed the gospel but has fallen away. After obeying the gospel in youth, one should not delay his service as a Christian. You know, Paul thanked the Philippians for their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, as he put it. And in Colossians chapter 1, Paul wrote of the gospel that he said had brought forth fruit in the Colossian Christians since the day that they heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You remember what Romans 6 verse 4 says? Rise to walk in newness of life. Speaking of baptism, into which we are buried, we rise from that watery burial to do what? To wait in newness of life. To wait for newness of life? No, to walk in newness of life. In other words, we are raised from that watery grave to serve. If we're old enough to obey the gospel, then we're old enough to serve from day one of our obedience to the gospel. There's a little limerick to this point. A godless young man of the nation put his faith in procrastination. He said, wait till tomorrow, till alas to his sorrow, He died without regeneration. Putting things off, especially in the spiritual realm, is obviously a very dangerous thing. As we have often said, young people die too. It's not just older people who do. And so young people many times despise their youth by delaying their obedience. But also young people despise their youth by doubting their abilities. And young people should not doubt their abilities. That's what Paul was writing to Timothy and reminding him of. You are a young man, yes, but you have abilities. We'll talk more about those as we look at the verses that follow verse 12. You have a gift, Timothy. You have the gift that was given you by the laying on of my hands. That, I believe, is the miraculous gift that Paul imparted by the laying on of an apostle's hands. But you have talent. You have ability. And all of us, young or old, have different abilities or talents. But how many times have we asked this question from this pulpit? Where is the no-talent man in Matthew 25 in that parable? Where do you find the no-talent man in Matthew 25? He's not there. Because all of us have abilities. You know, I can look at some young people in Scripture that did not doubt their abilities to serve. What about David? David. And his battle with Goliath, and his confidence when the Israelite army was, was basically cowering, fearful of the great Philistine champion. And David said, "I'll go after him, because he is waging war. The Philistine is against God's army." And David had that confidence. What about Joseph? What about Daniel? They didn't doubt their abilities abilities to serve and look at the influence they exerted. And that brings us to our next point about how one despises one's youth. Not only by delaying one's obedience and doubting one's abilities, but also by discounting one's influence. Influence is a powerful, powerful thing. And whether we are young or old, we have that influence. A man once dreamed that he was in hell And when he was asked to give an account of what he had seen in that dream, if there were flames there, if there was suffering there, if there were terrible people there with whom he had to associate, and if the place resounded with the sounds of blasphemous blasphemous oaths, he answered this way, Oh, yes. Oh, yes, he said, in my dream it it was all of that, but there was something far worse. And what that something far worse was that I was compelled to face my influence. I knew that I deserved punishment because I had scorned and rejected Jesus Christ, but my worst pain was to see what effect my life had had on others. Whoever you are, there is some younger person who may think you're perfect, at least certainly worthy of emulation. There is some work that will never be done if you don't do it. There is someone who would miss you if you were gone. There is a place for you alone to fill. I like what an unknown author penned, My life shall touch a dozen lives before this day is done. Leave countless marks of good or ill ere sets the evening sun. This the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help other lives. It touches by the way. I mentioned before that years ago I was in a gospel meeting at Buford, Georgia, in the Atlanta area, and they went on a door knocking effort before that gospel meeting, and the young people were involved in that effort. And during the gospel meeting, there was a lady who came because of one thing, and she stated what that was. She said she was so impressed that young people were out knocking doors and taking time to do that, that she felt the least she could do was to attend, and she came twice, And at the time, she said she would visit again. I don't know how all that ultimately worked out. That lady may be a faithful member of the Lord's Church at Buford today or somewhere. I don't know. But I do know this. She was impressed with the fact that young people were devoted enough to the cause of Christ to give up what I think, as I recall, was a Saturday to go out and knock on her door. How many young people have been converted by those they dated? And you've heard me mention about the late Johnny Ramsey, great gospel preacher who, when he was a young man in high school, was dared by some of his friends to ask the prettiest girl in school out on a date. And he accepted the dare and he asked her out. And you know where he took her? He took her to worship. She was not a Christian. She became a Christian, and the number ultimately who were converted through that effort, the number was 35, 35 precious souls ultimately obeyed the gospel from that beginning. Don't discount your influence, young or old, and also don't disregard your direction. There are directions that you must not disregard. That applies to young and old, obviously, doesn't it? The captain on the bridge of a large naval vessel saw a light ahead, and he was on a collision course with that light. And so the the captain signaled ahead to that light and said, Alter your course ten degrees south. And the reply came back. Alter your course ten degrees north. The captain then signaled, Alter your course ten degrees south. I am a captain. The reply came, Alter your course ten degrees north. I am a seaman third class. The furious captain, Signaled, alter your course ten degrees south. I am a battleship. And the reply came back, alter your course ten degrees north. I am a lighthouse. We need to follow our lighthouse. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. There are the directions in God's Word. And to disregard those directions, young or old, will destroy our souls. We are living in an increasingly secular society, and our younger people especially are becoming more secularized by the day. I saw a report just the other day, a recent study, that indicated how much the percentage of those who disregard God altogether and religion, how much that percentage has risen in the last several years. And the report mentioned also that they thought that the the direction away from organized religion was a direction into a different kind of spirituality that young people were embracing. No, not anymore, not even that anymore. It is now a trend toward total secularization and the rejection of spiritual things, period. That is what this latest report indicated. Many young people are disregarding their directions. There's a story about a New England teacher who quizzed a group of college-bound high school juniors and seniors on the Bible. And the quiz preceded a... Bible as Literature class that he was going to teach at Newton High School in Massachusetts. And that high school, incidentally, was generally considered to be one of the better public schools in the nation. You know what kind of answers he got? Among the the most unusual answers from his students were the following. Jezebel was Ahab's donkey. Other students thought that the four horsemen appeared on the Acropolis. That the New Testament Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. That Eve was created from an apple, and that Jesus was baptized by Moses. But the answer that took the misinformation prize was given by a fellow who was academically in the top 5% of the graduating class. The question, what was Golgotha? His answer, Golgotha was the name of the giant who slew the apostle David. Actual answers, I assume. And so instead of despising our youth, our youth should be capitalizing on their youth as a time to serve faithfully and as a time to lay a foundation upon which they will be able to stand throughout life and lead others to take a stand on that foundation for other foundation can no one lay than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus 1 Corinthians 3:11 What our young people need to be doing is three things in order to capitalize on their youth and it really is something that applies to all of us consider your creator commit to Christ and convert your companions There's no greater mission. Consider your creator, commit to Christ, and convert your companions. And that gets us back to Paul's admonition to Timothy here in verse 12. Let no one despise your youth. Now when we think about Timothy's youth, he was not a teenager at this time. A young person in the time of Paul's writing of this epistle would be considered young up to about 40 years of age. Chances are Timothy was in his mid-30s at this time, under 40, but he would still be considered a young person based on how the Romans, especially in this particular time frame, viewed their young, young people up to 40 years old. But he was still considered a young man. But he says, don't let anyone despise. The word despise indicates to look down or to think down toward you. Don't let anyone think down toward you. But here's what you do. You offset any tendency of theirs to look down upon you or to think down about you by your what? By your example to the believers. You be an example to the believers. How, Paul? In several areas. In word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, as the King James, the New King James include in spirit, some translations do not, in faith and in purity. And when he says, be an example to the believers in word, I don't think he meant the word. That, that goes without saying. He's to be faithful to the word, to the gospel. He's going to mention that a little bit later. But I believe what was primarily in Paul's mind here was you be an example to the believers in how you speak to others, in what you say to others, and in what you say about others. You know, I used an illustration a few Wednesday nights ago that I'm going to repeat. Some of you uh, were not here, I'm sure, and maybe didn't hear it but I think it's worth repeating. And it also relates to this matter of words and how important words are. You remember I mentioned a few Wednesday nights ago there was a one-minute video clip that Edgar Beard had sent along. And I looked at that, and it was about a blind man who was sitting at the bottom of some steps near on a public building, obviously. And he had uh, his... Cloth spread out, and he had a sign, and the sign said, "Please help me. I'm blind." And this was in Glasgow, Scotland, where this was said, and people would come by, and occasionally someone would drop a coin there. Some would pass by and ignore him. Then a young lady spotted him, and she made a point of coming over to where he was. And she stood in front of him and then she reached down and she got his sign and she took a pen out of her pocket and she turned his sign over and she wrote something on the back and put it down so that what she had written was facing the street. And he realized she was doing something and he felt of felt of her shoes. And then she left. And then what you next saw was people coming by and money was just flowing from their Pockets and coins were rattling as they gave generously. And then she returned a bit later and she stood in front of him and he reached out and he felt her shoes and so he knew who it was. And then he asked her, what did you do to my son? And she said, I wrote the same thing but in different words. And then you saw what she had written, where his sign had said, please help me, I'm blind. Her sign said, it's a beautiful day, and I can't see it. And that's what prompted the generous giving. And then on that little video, these words came up. Change your words. Change the world. That's a poignant and powerful piece. But that's the very thing I believe that Paul is addressing here when he says, be an example in word, in how you talk, and what you say, and how you say it. Be that example. And in your conduct, because No matter how careful you are with your words, if your words do not comport with your conduct, then those words are not going to mean anything really. You're going to be a hypocrite. So make sure that your word is in harmony with your conduct. So be an example in word, in how you speak to others, what you say to others and about others, and in your conduct and then in love. And the word for love there is that highest form of love. The agape love. And in spirit, as the King James and the New King James include, would be certainly his attitude, the kind of spirit that he has, the kind of spirit that he obviously demonstrates as people know him. Have you ever said of anyone, he or she has such a sweet spirit about him or such a sweet spirit about her? You probably have. And I think that's what's in view here. And in faith no doubt his faithfulness and trustworthiness to the cause, and obviously be an example in purity, moral excellence. One who is not just a preacher of the gospel, but one who is a Christian, should be an example to all other believers in moral excellence, purity. And then he says in verse 13, till I come give attendance or attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine, till I come, indicating that Paul intended to come to Timothy, who was at Ephesus at this time, and there were some problems at Ephesus, and he was encouraging Timothy to stand against those false teachers there and to stand with the truth, and he hoped to come see him. We don't know whether he ever made it or not. There's no indication one way or the other. But he was hopeful of being able to come to Ephesus and be with Timothy. But until I get there, and it's my hope to come, give attention, give attention. And that's a present tense, which means you just keep on giving attention to what? Reading. And the indication there is the public reading of the Scriptures as a part of the worship service. Something that would have been characteristic of the early church, as it was characteristic in the synagogues. To reading, and to what is read, and to what is being read publicly, and to exhortation. In other words, it's not enough just to read the Scriptures and to pay attention to what is being read publicly in the assemblies, but then there needs to be exhortation and doctrine that follows, teaching, exhortation to follow what is read, and teaching about what is read so that there is an understanding among the people of the Word of God. Paul in the Ephesian letter said, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul is saying, Timothy, help people understand the will of the Lord. Preach to them in a way that they can understand the will of the Lord and hopefully will obey it. And then he says, do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. I think there are two hands-on situations here. One would be the gift that Paul had given him that was prophesied that he gave him when he laid hands on him. Miraculous right. gifts were imparted only by the laying on the apostles' hands. And so, obviously, Paul had laid hands on Timothy to impart miraculous gifts to him. Look at 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, which says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God, that's a miraculous context, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul laid hands on Timothy to impart miraculous gifts, but there's also there mentioned in this verse the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, the eldership. What kind of laying on of hands would that be? That would be simply the non-miraculous laying on of hands to give approval to his mission, as in Acts 13 with Saul and Barnabas when they were commissioned to go on the first missionary journey. It was simply a ceremonial situation to express to all present that the eldership endorses this man or these men, as was the case in Acts 13. And so there is a miraculous laying on of hands by Paul involved here and a non-miraculous laying on of the hands of the eldership in terms of commissioning him and approving his work. And then what does he say? Meditate on these things? Meditate on these things. That's more than casual reading, isn't it? That's more than occasional Bible study. Meditate on these things. Give yourself what? Entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Gospel preachers have to study. He's writing to a preacher of the gospel here. And gospel preachers owe it to their charge to prepare properly and thoroughly, to give themselves entirely to the study and presentation of the word and the living of that word. And here's the living of it again, verse 16. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Take heed to your own life and to the doctrine you were teaching. They have to be in harmony. There cannot be that inconsistency. Continue in them, for in doing this you will what? Save both yourself and those who hear you. Well, if it was not possible for Timothy as a child of God to fall away from grace... Why did Paul tell him to continue in the things that would save him? Again, you have one of literally hundreds of passages that make it abundantly clear that a Christian can fall away. A gospel preacher can fall away. Anyone can fall away after becoming a child of God. I conclude quickly with two verses in the next chapter. Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Tonight, Lord Widden, we'll talk about widows that are introduced in verse 3 beginning. But think about this, this admonition in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5. What a picture it paints of the kind of unity and harmony that ought to exist in every congregation of God's people. And it will. It will when older men are not rebuked. And that, that word indicates a sharp, harsh, critical approach because we need to rise up before the gray head, the book of Leviticus mentions, and give honor to those who are older. This is not an elder he's talking about and an older man he's talking about because the contrast is an older man in verse 1 and an older woman in verse 2. He's not talking about the elders. He'll talk about the elders a little bit later on in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. He's not discussing the eldership here. He's talking about older men. And Timothy, you're a younger man. So how should you approach an older man when he needs to be exhorted? When he does sin, do you ignore that sin? No. But you approach him in a way that will be effective in bringing about proper solution. Don't sharply and harshly rebuke an older man. Exhort him as a father. How would you talk to your father? Then talk to that older man in that same way. How would you treat your younger fellow Christians? As brothers, fleshly brothers. Now I know in scripture you've got, you've got some brothers that didn't treat their fleshly brothers very well. Joseph's brothers didn't treat him very well, et cetera. But that doesn't mean that that was permissible. No, what Paul is saying is that there's unity and harmony where attitudes are manifested in the way that he exhorts here. Exhort that older man as a father, the younger men as brothers. Treat the older women like you would your mother and approach her in that way. The younger women as sisters with all purity. What a beautiful admonition that is. And when it's followed, indeed, what a beautiful situation exists. You can become a part of the family of God this morning. The family that is admonished to be like no other family on the face of the earth. Not even, not even as significant as a fleshly family is, the spiritual family is still far more precious. doesn't mean that our fleshly families or our biological families are not precious to us. They are. But there's a relationship that ought to be more precious than any other. And that is the relationship into which one enters when one becomes a child of the king obedient to the gospel of Christ. If you haven't entered that relationship by a belief that leads you to repent of your sins, confess Jesus as the Christ, and to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins, we plead with you to do that. If you need to come home to your first love, as a wayward child, we plead with you to come now as we stand and as we sing to encourage